Good morning. It is a delight to be with you on behalf of Westminster College, where we're celebrating our 170th year of educating young men and women. We don't look a day over 160, really. <laughs> it's lovely to be here, and I am deeply honored to have the opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, who has loved us and will love us eternally, grant us a fresh awareness of your presence here today and a renewed sense of your calling as we worship together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I read today from two passages, Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, and then Philippians 3, verses 4 through 14. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. From the writings of Paul to the church at Philippi. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Be Memory. All alone in the moonlight, I can dream of the old days. Life was beautiful then. Memories light the corners of my mind. Misty watercolor memories of the way we were. Sound familiar? You know, those lyrics try to capsule for us the power of memory, the power for us to be at a place and time long separated from where we may find ourselves be. Memories are important. They provide our identities, our connections, and our emotional centers. When families gather, we retell stories and reclaim the moments that bind us together. Acclaimed preacher Fred Craddock has said, 
To be a Christian is, to a certain extent, an exercise of memory. And so this perhaps why, when as believers gather, we tell the old, old stories that have encouraged, convicted, and claimed believers for centuries. Those precious memories, how they linger. The faith stories collected in the scripture and our own testimonies help us commemorate and celebrate when and how and why God acted on our behalf, on behalf of his people. The Lenten season is dedicated to offering us space to remember and to contemplate. But I assert that the Christian faith is not just a past tense faith. While memories connect us to what has come before, they, almost, they may also chain us to what has been rather than what may be. Theologian Peter McLeod noted, the past was meant to be a guidepost and not a hitching post. When the way ahead seems daunting, uncertain, terrifying, or hopeless, it may only be natural for us to want to look backward and long for the good old days. But just as the prophet Isaiah instructed the Israelis who were exiled in Babylon, there comes a time when in order to experience a new thing, the next thing that God has planned for us as his people, we have to let the former things go, no matter how miraculous or how tragic they were. How else can we find his way through the wilderness or drink of the new waters in the desert? The former things provide for us a foundation of confidence and faith in a God who is sufficient and committed to leading us forward to something new. I call that type of faith perspective a present perfect tense of faith. Now think with me back to those exciting days in elementary and junior high when you were taught verb tenses. Past, present, future, you got those easily, right? But the perfect tenses might have created some tension for you. So let me give you a brief grammar update. In English and in Greek grammar, the perfect present tense indicates an action that began at a point in time, but still continues through the present. Something has begun, but it is not over. I think that describes what Paul tells us about in this letter to the church at Philippi. Paul begins by looking back on his life as an exemplary Jew, citing seven virtues that made him righteous under the law. Born a Jew, he did everything right. He says his past was perfect. But you know, God wanted to do a new thing in the life of Paul. His zeal, his commitment to persecuting this new faith was interrupted by a dramatic meeting with the risen Christ and a vision experienced on the road to Damascus. And that life-changing encounter with Christ became the catalyst for Paul's present perfect tense of faith. He gave up the former life to gain Christ. Now, he kept that great scriptural knowledge he had. It provided such a wonderful resource for him as he taught and preached and ministered and discipled across the known world at that time. 
but he no longer trusted in his efforts as righteousness. Instead, he believed that righteousness would come from this ever-growing, ever-vivid faith in Christ. Because Paul knew that such faith could and should grow. He describes that process of gaining Christ and being found in him as the type of commitment that an athlete makes. A commitment built on an initial response to the call of Christ, but developed through rigorous training, as if you were getting ready to run a marathon. Every day, you would run a certain length. Then you'd rest. And the next day, you might push yourself a little further. And then you'd rest. In my case, I would collapse. But some of you look capable of actually doing this. That's the kind of training, straining, that Paul says he is committed to because he wants to know Christ more deeply. He wants to know of his power. And he's willing to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, even suffering physical harm or death, because of that surpassing value of knowing Christ. So what is it, would it mean for us to live in such a present, perfect, tense faith experience as believers? Well, I think it means first that we have to acknowledge that faith needs to grow. You know, our faith experience is not that one-time event of baptism. Instead, it's this ongoing process of sanctification. That's a good Presbyterian word. It's the process of growing and training. Present perfect faith requires trust because it acknowledges that God is continuing to work within us and through us, that he has new things for us, that he will not leave us in a wilderness, but he will guide us to the oases where there are fresh waters. And I would also argue that present perfect faith, faith commits. Life is uncertain. Perhaps the only certainty we have is that as we seek Christ, we can find him, that we can know him more and more fully and more deeply. As Paul wrote earlier in this letter to the church at Philippi, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What greater foundation do we have for a life that looks forward rather than just backward. Our memories are important, but we should let them be our catalyst for growth. As the example of Paul tells us, let's leave behind those things that keep us from being able to move aggressively as an athlete would, and let's reach for that goal. If you think about it, Paul was overcome as a great Jew that he actually could know Christ. There was no veil. He could know Christ. And we have that same opportunity. We have that same calling. So may our salvation be enriched as we remember our beginning, but commit to our present, knowing that we look forward to that day when our faith is fully realized, when we are known as he now knows us and the glorious resurrection. Then, as a lyricist reminds us, 
we'll understand what happiness is. Look, a new day has begun. Amen.